chapter 5 and starting in verse 20. I'm excited to be in God's house today. I'm excited for Brother Corneo to be with us at 11 o'clock. Man, I'm going to have an awesome time in the Holy Ghost. I believe God's going to move. God's going to work the miraculous in this place. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20. If you got it, say amen. Coming right out of the gate here with verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. There's an intense verse of Scripture. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another and doing nothing by partiality. Our God is no respecter of persons and sin is no respecter of persons either. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, lay hands on no man suddenly, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. And then he gets to verse 24 and verse 25, which is where we're going to focus today. He says, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid, or the the good works of others, though you may not know about them on this earth, and you may not know about them in this time frame, they will not be hid. Rest assured, any good work that you've done, anything that you've done for the kingdom of God, it is not hidden. With your attention for the next few moments, I want to talk about the high cost of hidden sin. Could we set our Bibles to the side? Let's lift our hands in the air and ask God to be with us over these next couple of moments. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would join us in this room. Lord, I know that your word is pure and it is true. I pray that you would cleanse my lips and my heart. God, I want to be a conduit, Lord, that your spirit can flow through. Let every heart be open. Let every mind be ready to receive it. In Jesus' name, the high cost of hidden sin. The Israelite man could feel the pins, the needles, the nervous sweat breaking out in the small of his back. His stomach, though filled only with the morning's manna, had begun to turn itself in loops. And for the very first time, he regretted it. Why had he ever taken it in the first place? It, it was so tempting at the time. It was so tempting in the moment. And, and surely he had been careful. Nobody had seen it happen. He'd hidden it so well in the ground inside of his tent. But then his tribe, Judah, was taken by Lot. His first hint of trouble came after the stunning defeat at a town called Ai. It was just a little town. Surely they didn't need more than 3,000 men. It's, it's not like it was Jericho after all. It was just a little village. 
But Achan was just as surprised as everyone else when 36 Israelite soldiers were killed as they fled. And he began to tie it together, perhaps in his brain. Is it, is it possible? No, no, it, it can't be so. It can't be so. Surely nobody knows about the gold and the garments, right? Then the family of the Tsarites of Judah was taken. He had kept it so hidden. He hadn't told anyone. Perhaps he'd been waiting. He had planned to wait until other cities like the city of Ai were captured. and, And then he could bring out the gold. And then he could bring out that garment for the very first time. He had looked forward to the day where he could don that Babylonian garment and walk throughout the camp. But no one was ever going to be the wiser. But he hadn't counted on Jehovah himself speaking to Joshua about just a little gold and a few robes. It was so insignificant in his mind. It was just a little bit of gold. I mean, they had enough gold, right? They'd seen the tabernacle. That thing was covered in gold. Who who cares if he just got himself a little bit? But the bitter sting of guilt began to rise In his throat and his breath became short as Zabdi, the ancestor of his household, was taken by holy lot. And I read to you from Joshua 7 and 18. It says that he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, I, I coveted them and I took them unto myself and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses, and his sheep and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said unto Achan, standing there with his family, standing there with everything he possessed on this earth, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Though I do not feel in the Holy Ghost any target or direction. I do feel a very strong word in my heart today for this church to remind us 
that hidden sin has a high cost. Though Achan had successfully hidden his transgression from every man and perhaps even from those in his own household, can you imagine the surprise perhaps of somebody that was a son or a daughter of Achan or a servant of Achan without knowledge of this hidden sin, yet it affected them. Though he had hidden it from every man, there was a God in heaven with full knowledge. He ultimately pays with his life. And living under a different covenant than you and I, his punishment was swift and it was final. There was no opportunity for repentance. There was no chance or no moment for chains. Achan and all his household were stoned, burned, and buried under a heap of stones. It was a memorial to their transgression, which would stand in a valley named after him. There are some scholars that even pose the scenario that Achan, which essentially means the troubler, wasn't actually his real name, but perhaps it was blotted out and they replaced his name with Achan so that it would always be remembered as the one that troubled Israel. Joshua, at the end of his life, speaks in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 20 and said, did not Achan the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. You see, one of the lies the enemy has been effective in telling us is that our sin only affects us. That your sin is only altering the course of your life. It's, it's not affecting anybody else. There's another story in your Bible of David and Bathsheba. And David's sin with Bathsheba had been relatively secret. Very few would have known about it. Perhaps a few servants that had fetched her from her house. Joab who participated in the murder of Uriah. But now Uriah was dead and Bathsheba was his and no one seemed to be the wiser. In 2 Samuel 11 and 27, it says, when the morning was past, they even kept up appearances and allowed her to mourn for her dead husband who'd been murdered by her soon-to-be new husband. David fetches her unto his house and she became his wife and she bare him a son and everything seemed to be going good until you read the last sentence of the verse. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Nobody knew about it except the only one that really mattered. Nobody knew what had really transpired except the one who is ultimately in in, in knowledge and knows all things done by all of us. And so God sends the man of God to David and he he begins to tell him the story of a rich man that's taken that prized lamb from a poor man. And anger rises up inside of David because even though this story is a very clear parallel of what he's done, he is blinded by his own conceit. He's blinded by pride. He thinks nobody knows, nobody's seen what I've done. And so he says, the man that has done this is going to die and the man of God points his finger right at him and says, thou art the man. 
And David falls on his face and begins to repent. In 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11, we hear Nathan say these words to David. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away this sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. I'm talking today about the high cost uh, of hidden sin. And so now David, uh, though he has been kept by the mercy of God, uh, now there's a price that is paid because he sinned. The child dies. His son Amnon rapes his daughter Tamar. His son Amnon is murdered by his son Absalom. His son Absalom rebels against David. His son Absalom sleeps with David's concubines on the palace rooftop, fulfilling Nathan's prophecy that it would take place in the sight of all of the sun. Now Absalom in rebellion against his father is murdered on a battlefield and David is heartbroken. My son, my son. Near the end of his life, Adonijah crowns himself king, rejecting the will of his father. He's eventually killed by another of David's sons. There are effects of past sins that I've seen in my own life. Missed opportunities, perhaps. A wounded testimony. A blemish on the glory of God. I'm sure there are plenty of other effects of sin that I'm not aware of. Perhaps on the other side, perhaps in the moment where I do stand before the Lord and the books are open and I'm judged according to every deed of my heart, maybe full understanding will come of the high cost of my hidden sin. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 2, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. Is that a terrifying thought to any, anybody else? Are there some things that have come out of your mouth or a thought that you've allowed to dwell in your heart in the darkness by yourself? Nobody knows, but God knows and God says it will be heard in the light. And that which you've spoken in the ear in closets will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I didn't want anybody else to know. I didn't want anybody else to see. But contained inside of Nathan's stark rebuke of King David is something powerful. In verse 13, Nathan says unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. If you compare the two portions of scripture, Achan said the same thing that David said, I have sinned against 
the Lord. Uh, but there was a shift that had begun in the life of David. Uh, and now uh, there's a Messiah that walks onto the scene hundreds of years later, who's not ashamed to be called the son of David. Uh, Acts chapter tw- 13 calls David the man after God's uh, own heart. Uh, David deserved to die. Uh, he deserved to be stoned with stones, just like Achan was. Uh, his hidden sin uh, was just as bad. It was just as vile. It was just as nasty. Uh, he deserved to be eternally separated from the presence of God. Uh, but a merciful God looked forward to a place called Calvary when the son of David would lay down his sinless life uh, to cover his great-grandfather's sin uh, along with your sin and my sin. Losing the hope of heaven would in fact be the highest cost uh, of any hidden sin uh, because no sin is getting into heaven. Uh, not one sin, not, not the little one that we don't tell anybody about, not the little things uh, that we keep hidden. And every time it tries to rise up, we just stamp it down uh, and try to pretend like it never happened. Uh, no, none of those things are getting into heaven. Even liars will have their place in the lake of fire. But the highest cost of David's sin was paid in full. There was still a cost for his hidden sin. There was still an effect on this earth. uh, And there will be sins that we commit in this life uh, where there will still be uh, an earthly effect. There will still be uh, circumstances on this earth that change uh, in our lives. But because of Calvary uh, and because of the blood uh, that was shed, uh, the highest cost uh, of my hidden sin, uh, the highest price that I would have to pay. God uh, took upon himself the form of a man. Uh, He walked this earth and he paid uh, that high price for me. Uh, I'm so thankful for Calvary. Uh, I'm so thankful uh, that even when I tried to hide it uh, and I wouldn't let anybody else know uh, while he hung on a cross, uh, I was on his mind. Uh, He knew that a young man named Jared uh, would make mistakes uh, and he'd be embarrassed and ashamed. uh, But he also knew the day would come uh, where confession would begin to pour out of my mouth. Uh, He knew the day would come uh, when repentance would begin to pour out of my heart uh, and he went to a cross to pay that high cost as David utters I have sinned against the Lord he writes in Psalm 51 have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of your mercies blot out my transgressions wash me Thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, that's the thing about hidden sin. Though we try to ignore it, it's always before us. Because the enemy of your soul is really good uh, at reminding you every time that you try to step into the presence of God, uh, there's a quiet little voice that reminds you of that little thing. Uh, Because hidden sin, uh, oh, it's not really as hidden as you think it is. Uh, And the enemy and the tempter of your soul, uh, he'll bring it up every time you're trying to take a step towards God. Uh, He'll bring it up. And so David said, my sin is ever before me. I can't forget about it. I, I can't get rid of it. It's always there. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it out of my mind. I'm trying to get rid of it. 
Because why so many in the day and the age that we live in struggle with anxiety and they struggle with crippling fear because there is a mechanism that has been given to us to delete and to remove this effect. David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter and snow make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice hide thy face from my sins blot out all mine iniquities create in me oh god a clean heart and renew a right spirit inside of me I do not come to this pulpit today with a tone of condemnation but I come with a tone of hope Any hidden sin can be dealt with. Repentance is the only way to pay the high cost. Confession is almost a secret weapon because your flesh wants to cover it up and your flesh wants to rationalize and your flesh wants to explain it away and your flesh doesn't want to bring it to light. But hear me today, uh, when you confess You've removed the hidden part of it and the light of God's word and God's pure holiness can begin to penetrate the darkness of this heart of flesh and God's light will begin to drive the darkness out and God's love and God's mercy can begin to cover sin. The enemy of your soul thrives on secrecy. He thrives on keeping you in a place where you want to keep it hidden. He thrives on keeping you in a place uh, where you believe that nobody else knows about it. And so uh, you're just going to bury it. But it is too high uh, of a cost to pay. Uh, There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no damage to your reputation that is worth taking uh, a sin to your grave. Uh, There is nothing that is worth the high cost uh, of missing out on heaven. Uh, There's nothing that's worth uh, not bringing it up and not confessing it to the Lord and missing an eternity at his feet. Confession and repentance removes the power from your flesh and it removes the power from the devil. When you begin to confess and you bring it out, his secrets are ruined and his voice is silenced. Uh, When your voice begins to speak, his voice is silent. There are indeed times that you may need to confess and ask for forgiveness of the person affected. There are moments where you will have to go to your brother, your sister, your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, and tell them, I uh, have sinned. Uh, There are situations in your life where you may need to find a trusted brother or sister in the Lord. You may need to find a pastor and share it with them so they can walk with you because uh, that sin has become so deeply rooted that you find yourself in a compulsive behavior or an addiction. And then there are times when you've sinned and it's only against the Lord and nobody knows. And those moments are so important to lift our hands and say, Jesus, I'm sorry.
I don't want it to be hidden. I confess it to you, God. Uh, Cleanse my heart of all iniquity. Cleanse uh, my heart of everything. But why? Why do we hide? Pride and shame. Pride is almost natural to the human condition in our fallen state. It is both incredibly damaging and very dangerous. We look all the way back to the fall and we see both of these elements present after the first sin. God begins to call to Adam and Eve and he asks of Adam what is going on. And the pride inside of Adam responds to his creator and says, The woman that you gave me, it's her fault. Haughtily standing before God, not in repentance, but in defiance. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will equip this human flesh to justify anything that it wants. I deserve this. This is mine by right. Others have done me wrong. Why can't I have this? And on and on and on it goes. Uh, And I believe everybody under the sound of my voice knows the sound uh, of pride in your mind, allowing us to justify, allowing us to possess or have uh, anything that this flesh desires. But pride must be crucified and pride must be taken care of. Pride must be repented and confessed for God to move in our heart. But there's another reason people hide. It's shame. Adam and Eve, after biting the fruit, realize they are naked. They realize they have no covering. And for the very first time in their life, perhaps they felt the exact same physiological response that Achan felt as his family began to be taken by Lot. There's a sting of needles on your back. There's that tightening of the throat. Your palms get sweaty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that's ever felt that? You're about to be discovered. And so here they are. What do we do? They they feel inadequate to be in the presence of God. And so they begin to sew together leaves to begin to cover themselves and they hide from the presence of God as if that were even possible. And God goes walking to them in the cool of the evening and he begins to cry out, where are you? Sin interferes with your intimacy with God because sin always brings shame Guilt and condemnation. But repentance and confession will always allow you to move past shame and past guilt to forgiveness. Your flesh does not want it. It bucks against the very nature of your survival instinct inside of you. Your flesh will tell you the greatest chance I have is to never let anybody know that I'm struggling. The greatest chance that I have is to never let anybody know that I've messed up. Uh, But God uh, is coming for you in the cool of the evening and he's calling out, where are you? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. 
Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I am thankful to be a part of a very doctrinally solid apostolic church. I am thankful to be a part of a church that preaches this one God message that preaches that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That preaches holiness uh, and inward and outward holiness. It preaches a, a, a standard that does not base itself based upon this world, but it's based on the word of God. I am so thankful to be a part of a holy church. But in our pursuit of all things apostolic, let the church never forget restoration. Let the church never put aside a commitment to a culture of restoration. Can you still love your brother when you know their secret faults? Can you still prefer your brother when you know that they're struggling? See, we're told to restore them in a spirit of meekness because it's very easy that next week, maybe it's my flesh, and next week, maybe I'm going to my brother and say, hey, man, I need you to pray for me. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 reads this in the New Living Translation. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. This is a real cheerful verse, I know. You are not that important. And with that, let's stand. <laughs> Restoration is not just the pastor's business. It's not just God's business. It's your business. You are responsible to restore your brother. It doesn't say, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, hurry up and call the pastor and tell him what they did. It doesn't say, if a man be overtaken in a fault, just say, we're praying for you and let pastor deal with it. But it says, you which are spiritual. See, it's the importance of cleansing ourselves and walking after the voice of the spirit and not after the flesh. Because we are called to restore one another. In meekness, knowing that this flesh is weak and this flesh will always this this flesh is weak and it's strong at the same time. It, it, it's weak in that it will fall, but it's very strong in that it it will rise up and it will try to overtake you. But I believe an apostolic church is a place of restoration, and I believe the Jesus church can create a culture where though there may be shame in hidden sin, and though there is guilt that, that grabs a hold of you, this has to be a safe place where somebody can come and confess. Not a culture where we explain it away or we allow it or we just we pretend that it didn't happen. It has to be dealt with. It has to be repented. It has to be covered by the blood. And accountability still has to flow into work. But it's got to be a place where the fear of missing out on heaven 
overrides the benefit and shame of keeping it to ourselves. Can you commit to restoration? Can you, can you commit to working with your brother and sister? Can you commit to loving them, knowing that next week it might, just might, be you? It's a high cost to a hidden sin. And I don't want to miss heaven for one second. There is too great a prize at the end of this road. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Why don't you slip a hand into the air? We've got a few minutes. Let's let the Lord move in this place. Oh, my God, I, I pray, God, let each and every one of us humbly consider ourselves. Let each and every one of us humbly consider our own mistakes, God. Uh, I need you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins or intentional sins. That's a whole different sermon. It's a whole different concept to be dealt with. But keep me back from those too, Lord. See, that's where pride rises up and I begin to tell myself I deserve this. Don't let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. There's one more portion of scripture I'd like to read. I don't have it in my notes, so nobody look at Akilah and blame her. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The unspoken portion of that verse is that if you're walking after the flesh, then condemnation is an expected companion. You will have condemnation if you're walking after your flesh. But if you'll walk after the Spirit, there is no condemnation. But it says in the New Living Translation in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in the New Living. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. As a spirit-filled believer, do not give in to the lie that you are addicted and you're always going to be addicted. Do not give in to that falsehood because the Spirit of God living inside of you is given to you to empower you to overcome anything. You have no compulsion. You have no reason. You are not under the dominion of sin, but under the Spirit. I love you. I appreciate you. Allow God to examine us this week. There's a high cost. To any sin, but there's a high cost to hidden sin. And you may not pay it on this side, but I don't want to pay it on the other side. It's a lot cheaper to deal with it here and now than in eternity. Amen. Well, there are costs.